And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening. Whatever the case may be on this rotating globe, welcome to another edition live tonight. God's willing and the creek don't rise, as Tennessee Ernie used to say. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where, well, almost anything can happen. Um, Things are still happening from last night's show. We had a really, really fascinating, amazing show with Russell Targ discussing this still-fledgling science of remote viewing and associated hyperdimensional paranormal, I don't like that term, um, events, eventualities, occurrences, instances, uh, transpirations. I could go on, but I won't. Um, We're going to be doing more of that in the future. In fact, uh, in the somewhat middle ground, we're going to do a whole show on psychic archaeology, which is an incredibly interesting field. And we're going to have the pioneer, Dr. Stephen Schwartz, uh, again, you know, relying on Tennessee Ernie Ford, (laughs) to come before the microphones. You know, the, the amazing thing, that uh, the technology has now given us is that uh, nobody anywhere on Earth, or actually even off Earth, depending upon where you are, is beyond the reach of uh, communication. So no matter where people are on the planet, you can, if they're willing, uh, you can reach them and you can get them on the air and, you know, people all over the planet can hear them that could never even imagine such a concept just even a few years ago. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to forecast, finish the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, as to what might happen in 2023. This is part two of Things to Come. One of my favorite movies, by the way, with Raymond Massey. Uh, Wherever you are on whatever uh, stream or movie channel or archive you are part of, and most are part of more than one, Try to find it when it runs or to go and look at it uh, in its full-length form. It's a very interesting film. And uh, one of my film colleagues, because we talk about films quite often behind the scenes, uh, Robert Morningstar, uh, if he gets back in time, he's actually doing a bit of business tonight at midnight in Manhattan. It's nice to know that there is uh, life after sunset in Manhattan. So he'll be joining us sometime around the second hour. Uh, We have a full plate. We have a lot of our our regulars. We call them the Enterprise family because that's kind of how we interact with each other. And you know how families interact, so just use your imagination. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the lineup's going to be. I think we're going to bring Barbara up first because she has the most cogent and kind of time-critical relevant information of things that have happened recently in the not-too-distant past that are going to impact the not-too-distant future. So we'll go there. For you, those of you who are new to the show, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. You want to click on tonight's banner, which says, with that beautiful color shot from Of Things to Come, the 1930s feature-length film, uh, where it says Of Things to Come with Part 2. You want to click on that, that will take you to the guest page. And right under the same banner on the guest page, there's in big red, red, big yellow letters, it says to listen to the show. And under that, 
it says in white fast links to items click on my name that will take you down to the section of the page where we have items uh item number one as you heard if you were part of last night's show um the cause celeb of the last 72 hours is this bizarre quote chinese spy balloon that yesterday afternoon saturday afternoon east coast time at 2.39 p.m. Why is that important? Well, you divide 39 by 2, and what do you get? 19.5. Oh, my gosh. Um, the spy balloon was finally, by the U.S. military, uh, shot down, and currently Navy divers are recovering it seven <clears throat> tetrahedral miles offshore, off uh, Myrtle Beach, uh, in the uh, shallows of the continental shelf, seven tetrahedral spins, you know, two, 19.5, seven tetrahedral spins, in, <clears throat> wait for it, 47 feet of water. Gosh, you know, 19.5 is really 19.47. How much more Dickinsonian information can the Pentagon give out about what they suspect this, quote, Chinese spy balloon was really up to. So we're going to talk about that among ourselves tonight. Um, and there are some pretty interesting, shall we say, non-mainstream, out-of-the-box ideas for what could really be going on, starting with item number one. Guess what, boys and girls? It turns out this has happened before, at least three times during the preceding years of the Trump administration. And, oh, guess what? Those really trigger-happy Republicans who were all over President Biden for not shooting this thing down before it crossed the Aleutian Islands, i.e. Alaska, they did what with these previous Chinese incursions into U.S. airspace? They did nothing. They did exactly the same thing that the Biden administration did. Now, we don't know why. That's going to be part of our discussion. But they did exactly the same thing. And oh, by the way, there apparently, during the early couple years of the Biden years, um, there was, in year one, another incursion, which makes, what, three, four, five times that the, quote, Chinese, again, I want to be convinced about that, have sent something like this into American airspace over Guam, over Hawaii, um, and I forget where else. And we have apparently, I really want to underscore that, we apparently did nothing. But did we really do nothing? Anyway, that's part of our discussion because frankly, that comes under the category of would you believe this if you read it in a novel? I mean, once... What was that that Bush said? Once shame on me, twice shame on, and you, you forever live in... In other words, he mangled uh, the uh, interesting, cliched quote. So, but we got five instances here of events which, to the superficial public mind, apparently make no sense. So that means we have to dig a little deeper. There must be something else going on. <laughs> So we'll talk about that tonight. And uh, anyway, that's item number one. Frankly, a lot more interesting and a lot more, and I don't want to use the term 
and kind of overreact, but a lot more, and I'll use it very provisedly, threatening is item number two, which is a major Newsweek piece published a couple weeks ago, and it wasn't time to talk about it then. It is time tonight, following this week of the spy balloon hysteria. Inside China's Plans to Conquer Space. This is a very comprehensive overview of what China's doing vis-a-vis the moon. Now, why is this important? Well, as you know, last Sunday night, we laid out the most conclusive, confirming, absolutely irrefutable proof that the moon is covered with extraordinary ultra-high-tech advanced glass technology, i.e. the multi-layered dome. And once that has been confirmed by none other than the unmanned South Korean mission, the Denuri mission, which is now in orbit and has given us exactly four, completely nondescript, completely you could have seen them any day of the week over the last 50 years photographs of the moon, of the Earth, I'm sorry, seen from the moon. And in black and white, not in color, I mean, we got better images back from Lunar Orbiter back in 1966. So what's going on with that? Well, what's going on with that is that we have two tiers of information. We have the public sphere, where they're basically treating us like, um, you know, mushrooms in the dark and fed a lot of BS. And then there's the background story, the real stuff, the real deep multiple levels below the water of the iceberg where the truth is to be found. The Chinese, obviously, from what they have published and what I have tracked and presented on this show over many years, they know exactly what's waiting for humanity on the moon, including the stunning possibilities for finding pristine examples in underground archives or libraries or storerooms or whatever preserved against meteor erosion and impact in essentially a vacuum. So they're in pristine condition. So all you have to do is pick them up, bring them home and turn them on. So there's all kinds of astonishing advances in physics and technology and energy and information transmission and gosh, even hyperdimensional connection to beings who are no longer here. In fact, I spent a lot of time toward the end of the hour that I uh, spent last week taping a show for Howard Hughes. He's my uh, British colleague who's been with the BBC and ITV and is now working for Rupert Murdoch and Sky News. Uh, Howard has a radio show called The Unexplained and a television show, which is spun off, which is apparently gaining really good numbers on Sunday nights, um, like tonight, um, uh, on television, on Sky News. It airs a few hours before we go on the air. So we taped about an hour of radio, and um, he sent me a link. And so at the top of the homepage, Kintia has nicely posted a banner with a link directly to the hour that I spent with Howard discussing these latest astonishing and so overwhelmingly... um, enjoyable confirmations vis-a-vis what I have said is on the moon for decades. And now we've got the South Koreans confirming it. 
Now we have a means for human beings all over the world with basically cell phone, smartphone technology and cameras to confirm it. And we'll get into the details of that much, much in more uh, detail and amplitude later in succeeding shows. We might touch a bit upon that tonight, or we might not. Um, It might come to fruition where the nine artists that Elon Musk has gathered with the aid of his Japanese billionaire friend, who are going to the moon for a three-day circumlunar orbit every two hours in a, uh, in a version, a human-rated version of the Starship, they may actually get there by the end of 2023, which would definitely put that at the end of the runway of our projections of what might be happening tonight. Anyway, that's uh, all to be considered when you read item number two, because everything I've just said, the Chinese full well know. They are going. Their previous missions limb out in great detail why I think they are privy to all of the extraterrestrial implications of the science and technology that's waiting for whoever first comes to the moon with the appropriate understanding and technological abilities to bring the bacon home to bring home the stunning advances in science and technology that are literally just a quarter million miles away and available to our current very very primitive space technology and so there is a race a new space race between the chinese and their sphere of influence and the united states and its sphere of influence and none other than bill nelson Senator Bill Nelson, currently the head of NASA, has publicly voiced that this is where the new space race lies, and we had better win. Now, I know I've said on the show that getting to the moon is going to unify humankind like nothing else has, and that certainly has the potential, but not if it's in the wrong hands and they forbid and back that up with with weaponry. The, fa- the rights of anybody else to drop in and bring home samples and democratize it on their own. That's why we must be first to get there, to understand what we're seeing, and to bring the spoils back to humanity on planet Earth and then make it all public. Remember, this only works if it's all made public. So. How do the balloons fit in? Well, we'll leave that for the rest of the morning to kind of consider and discuss. Item number three. Um, Speaking of democratization, there is this really interesting kind of one of a kind uh, in recent years, green comet, which is moving through the skies of Earth in the um, circumpolar constellation realm. If you're in the Northern hemisphere, Go out before dawn. I would recommend a couple hours and look uh, in the direction of northeast. Look somewhere between the pole star Polaris and the bright red planet Mars, which is rising in the dawn. And um, it's tonight. It's the 5th of February. So as you can see there from that little graphic, just take that little graphic on your phone, go outside, match it to the sky, and bingo, there's the comet. Now, if you're in a city... It's kind of forlorn. You're going to need binoculars. If you're like I am in the country, 
you may have an even shot of seeing it with your naked eye. Binoculars, again, will help. And I'm looking forward to the uh, amazing video that will be shot from the space station, just like it was a couple years ago, of another comet that appeared in the pre-dawn skies. And I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen a video from upstairs of this comet uh, C2022 dash E3 parentheses ZTF, better known as Comet ZTF, which stands for the Zwicky uh, facility there on Mount Palomar, which first photographed it. Leading us to item number four. Now, we've talked a lot about going to the moon to gain access to extraordinary new technologies, breakthrough technologies. Well, this one was brought to my attention by none other than our own Keith Morgan. So, Keith, I might actually set up a whole section of The Other Side of Midnight where maybe weekly Keith does an update on all the breakthrough technologies that are quietly being produced in laboratories and corporations and government facilities that you never kind of hear about. So, Keith, since you're the one that led me to this, talk about what is in item number four. Okay. Um, right now, we're in a technological revolution. Everybody is vying for the next step in battery technology. And the guy who gave us the uh, lithium-ion battery, and is, honest to God, his name is John B. Goodenough. <laughs> and he's, what, 97 or something? Yeah. Yeah, he's teaching, was teaching at Austin University. And him and um, this lady, uh, Maria Barra, they got their heads together and they came up with the quantum glass battery. Um, people are saying, oh, these companies that are making these solid state batteries, they're known as quantum glass batteries. No, there's only one quantum glass battery and they came up with it. This battery set the, the bar that they're trying to reach, but they don't really want to get there because this ba this battery is virtually uh, forever battery is what um, Elon Musk calls it. Because the more you charge and discharge it, the better it gets. And when you've got like maybe uh, 3,000 or 4,000 cycles before conventional batteries, start, rechargeable batteries start to degrade, this battery, the more you charge and discharge it, the better it gets. And they've calculated 150,000 plus cycles. It also charges up to maximum in 60 seconds. So this, this guy that they've come up with, the quantum glass battery, has set the bar for what they have to reach. And with that kind of storage, your electric car can, instead of going 300 miles on a single charge, can go 900 to 1,200 miles on a single charge and still charge back up to maximum in 60 seconds. So these guys don't really want this because they want to sell batteries and they want to sell cars and parts and stuff like that. No, those days are over. We're moving on to the next generation technologies that are going to revolutionize everything. And the, this guy named Assad, Professor Assad, in uh, uh, the Institute, uh, Illinois Institute of uh, Technology, he's come up with a new battery. It's a solid state battery, and solid state batteries have the, the ability to be safe. You can punch holes in them, shoot bullets through them, you can cut sections off of them, and they're still producing electricity, but they don't catch fire, they don't explode, and they don't burn up. So they're, they're much, much safer. And Assad has come up with a uh, solid-state battery that's using a ceramic 
and a polymer combination as the electrolyte, whereas each one of them alone cannot produce the kind of uh, characteristics that he's getting with his battery, where he's got a kilowatt per hour from one kilogram of material. And a kilogram of material is like 2.2 pounds, and a kilowatt is a thousand watts for an hour, and that's unheard of right now. So his battery is going to set another benchmark that these guys have to match. Samsung, Toyota, uh, Nissan, uh, and um, who is and uh, Sam, Samsung, Panasonic, and Toyota. They're all come buying for these uh, solid-state batteries, and they're working hard to do this. This kind of technology could have been here a long time ago, but a lot of this stuff got suppressed. And we're now just seeing these things come to the surface. And Well, primarily, I would say, because of Elon Musk. Since he made yeah. Tesla the commercial success it is, and there's all kinds of imitators by the big three and the big five and the Japanese companies, the, 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 the limiting range of an electric car is the damn battery. This breakthrough in battery technology is going to explode the way you really counteract global warming, which is to replace fossil fuels on the road with electrons. And this is where we're headed. This technologies and, and the theories that they kept saying, you can't, you can't, you can't, they're going by the wayside. They said you can't, the, you can't separate the hydrogen and oxygen and water because the amount of energy you use to separate the hydrogen and oxygen is the same as what you get when you combine it back together, so you're not getting anything. <laughs> That's the lie. All right, there's a company called HiSATA. They have a technique to, to get hydrogen from natural gas, and the byproduct you get when you do that is you get carbon dioxide and you get the hydrogen. But it's 93% e efficient in terms of separating this stuff. That's supposed to be totally impossible. Well, if you can do that with natural gas, don't you think you can do this with water? Mm. Which is what Stan Myers was doing. So we're seeing this, this whole revolution that should have been here 20 years ago, but everything got suppressed. Stan Myers was killed off or poisoned because his technology would allow you to replace your spark plugs and it would cost $1,500 to retrofit your car to run on water. And that's what they didn't want out there. Okay, so, now you see why it may be time, boys and girls, to bring Keith on like once a week to a summary of where we are and where these breakthroughs are politically and economically in terms of Wall Street, etc. Hey, thank you so much, Keith. It's uh, tell you what, I'm going to take a little break here. This is just so cool. And when we come back, we're going to do we're going to introduce Barbara Honiger, who has a wide range of things to talk about tonight, beginning with the Supreme Court. We shall return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. 
join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcasts that provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, on the 5th of February, 2023. I will bet that Barbara Honiger has never had an intro of a Bond-theme spy, you know, musical that's kind of a backdrop to probably the first thing that uh, we both want to talk about. Let me give you just a little thumbnail sketch. Barbara has an extraordinarily interesting and diversified and important political career in Washington. She served in a high-level government position, including the White House Policy Analyst, Special Assistant to the President for Domestic Policy, Director of the Attorney General's Law Review at the Department of Justice, and for more than a decade was the Senior Military Affairs Journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School, the Premier Science, Technology, and National Security Affairs Graduate Research University of the Department of Defense. And in the last year or so, she's been appointed co-chairman of the board and investigative researcher with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And since September 11th, she's been a leading author, documentarian, public speaker, and major activist on the events of 9-11 with emphasis on the Pentagon and anthrax attacks. So without further ado, Barbara, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, having faith that I know what's going to happen in 2023, but I actually don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, none of us know, but what we're supposed to do is use our best spidey sense and try to scope out what might. It's all probabilities, you know, and the one thing that was on nobody's radar is this Chinese balloon insanity. What the heck is going on from your perspective? Yeah, I'd like to start with that, actually. Uh, How did I know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, um, if folks could go to, uh, your audience could go to my items. I think they're right after your items, Richard. Yep. And you can go to my number five. 
Um, I want to start out by just pointing out, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention it um, on the show last night, which was a great show, by the way, with Robert Morningstar and, and um, uh, is it Laurie Williams? Laurie Williams. Yeah. That and, was and, and, and John Womack, who was with us tonight again. That was just a great show. I was going to call in in the third hour, but it was also important. I didn't want to interrupt. So um, anyway, um, I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention this before. But, you know, that balloon looks a lot like the moon. And um, what, are, what have you been focusing on for years? But um, artificial structures on the moon, this thing just looks like an artificial moon in the sky. Of course, that's not what it is. But I find it fascinating that it came over the sovereign territory of the United States during the period of the full moon. Now, I don't know if it's literally full, but I think it is, or almost. <laughs> Andrew um, just sent me a note. Bingo! <laughs> yeah, bingo. I mean, really. Well, uh, well, look, remember, it's a far eastern culture, not just nations, which has now verified the most extraordinary, amazing, ultra-sophisticated Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology is magic, discovery, which is our insistence. There are ancient, multi-leveled, tens of miles high glass domes around the moon, and they're cousins to the Chinese. So are the Chinese in their best Emily Dickinsonian fashion. And you saw this. I did not see it, you know, until you pointed it out. Were they visually trying to communicate at a higher level? This is what's going to happen. This is what's important. And because there's no real practical use for balloon no. technology is spy technology anymore. None, none, no, none, zero. There's very little advantage and a huge disadvantage to them for doing this. Um, they, have, they have spy satellites that are, you know, not considered uh, a violation of the sovereignty of another country. And one of the big questions that's been asked in the mainstream media and alternative media is why now? Um, I have a few comments I'd like to make about this balloon. Okay, the first one is there was something about this that made me feel like maybe this is says something similar to what really happened behind the Cuban Missile Crisis. And what do I mean by that? Mm. What I mean by that is many people don't know, unless you've studied it carefully, that uh, the Soviets withdrew. The, the reason the Soviets put the missiles in Cuba was because we had ours in northern Turkey aimed at Moscow. Yep. And the quid pro quo was we would remove ours or point them away from uh, from Russia and the Soviet Union in northern Turkey uh, if they would remove theirs from Cuba. Yeah, this so, became the second answer. Remember Khrushchev sent two letters, one that was yeah. very aggressive and the other one, which was the earlier one, which was much more open. And Kennedy said, well, we'll just answer the first letter. And in that one, it was the quid pro quo quietly, like not right away, but the Soviets withdraw from Cuba. And then in the next year or so, we quietly withdraw the Thor missiles from Turkey that were aimed at Moscow and threatening exactly. the homeland. Okay, so I want to move on and point out, um, and if you'd like, I can send the link to the article to add to my items. But it turns <laughs> out, it turns out that um, here is an article a uh, Chinese defense ministry spokesman uh, pointed out 
that uh, in 2019, Chinese jet fighters used their missiles to shoot down a foreign nation's high-altitude reconnaissance balloon over China's Yunnan province. Well, they don't name the foreign nation, but you can probably guess it was us, okay? Um, so this, it just reminds me of a kind of quid pro quo type of thing um, that the Chinese were wanting um, Blinken, our Secretary of, Def Secretary of State, to go over there and to say, look, we'll stop it if you stop it. That's what my intuition tells me is going on here. Hmm. Now, there's another possibility that hasn't been mentioned by anyone else, and it's because of my very in-depth knowledge of 9-11 and the fact that the evidence is overwhelming that at least the first three of the four planes on 9-11 were taken over by remote control technology uh, to hijack the hijackers, as you will, and land or crash the planes without the pilot having control. So it occurred to me that, um, and there's another article that I could send to Keith to post, uh, in fact, I just have, uh, and it's an article by the BBC, said, could the China's balloon have actually been blown off course like Beijing claims? And um, they have used wind speed and weather data um, to track the the likely position. Wait, wait, who, who, who has done this? Who's tried to track the it? BBC, the BBC. BBC, okay, okay. The BBC using scientific uh, sources. Because we have global weather data now from satellites, so we should be able to reconstruct its trajectory all the way from where it started to where it ended. Right. So the bottom line of, of this analysis is is they could be they could be correct that the weather balloon wasn't intended to come over the United States. So it occurred to me, what if we have a backdoor in uh, some kind of chip such that we can take over their weather balloon mm. and cause the embarrassing incident to our geopolitical advantage? See, last night I argued that the reason we didn't shoot it down, despite all the hysteria from the from the right, and it's so amusing now that you know this happened three times under the Trump guys. <laughs> Trump, I know it's absurd. Come on, you know Kabuki <laughs> theater. It's all Kabuki theater. But yeah. the reason I said last night, if you heard that part of the show, is we learned so much by having it drift quietly and try to send information home. Because that gives us a digital window into their codes, their strings, their redundancies. We can enter, you know, uh, stealth programs through the same channel. In other words, we got an extraordinary amount of free intel by watching them try to either control it or send information home or both by just watching it drift. Because there's nothing it could see that they haven't already seen a million times. Come on. Yeah, except uh, I have read that uh, you can get higher resolution images. But see, everybody's focused on images. It's not about images. You know, given that we have things we keep secret, we hide them from satellites, which are predictable. The one thing about balloons is unless you know it's coming, and of course with this we've known the inside guys knew for like a week, you know, this was crossing the Pacific and entering the right jet stream and it was going to go here and then go there, you know, predictive weather forecast. 
So this was yeah. not a surprise. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the map in the article from the BBC that I just sent to Keith to add to the bottom of my items for tonight's show, it shows the path. It was about an eight-day journey of this balloon from China to when it was shot down. And that's um, all. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was like eight days to get here, and then it took another week to cross the country. Oh, that's possible. I just read it was an eight-day journey recently, so you might be right about that. But anyway, my point is, is that it appears possible that the trajectory could have been taken over by us, mm-hmm. just like uh, the planes uh, on 9-11 were taken over by remote control. Oh, see, why would we make an incident when Blinken was going to go unless this is part of a 3D chess strategy to force the Chinese into an agreement like back with Khrushchev and Kennedy, we'll, we'll both agree we're not going to do this again. Well, when they, I've also read that the reason that they wanted to wait to shoot it down over off of the Carolinas is because you're more likely to, um, to obtain, uh, to recover uh, more of the expected surveillance pod, they call it, uh, than if it crashed onto the ground. Um, so, um, depending upon what is found in that, of course, our side can just claim that there was surveillance technology, even if there wasn't. Um, so it seems to me that one of the reasons for the why now is that we may have taken advantage of this in order to gain uh, geopolitical leverage when Blinken does go to China to mm. meet with Z. Because he just said he was postponing the trip. Mm-hmm. Oh, it hasn't been canceled. No, just postponed. Yeah, just postponed. Oh, what so a tangled web we weave. When first we practice to deceive, which only oh. goes to show we need more practice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. John 8.32. Yes, yes. The truth shall free you. Yeah, okay. So that's, uh, unless you have other questions, that's what I wanted to mention about. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. There, I want to talk about some of these out. Of outrageous out of the box theories about what this might be at a deeper level, but I want to wait till we bring John on yeah. because I have a really cool idea, and uh, I, I just think he should be part of the conversation when oh, we get absolutely. there. Absolutely. Also, I, I believe that Robert Morningstar is an expert on China. Uh, so yes, have- and he will be joining us in the second hour, so we'll just belay the out of the yeah. box thinking. Um, I do want to say one thing, and I need to do this to correct my soul, because back when the uh, 9-11 happened, Robin was absolutely adamant that this had been done by taking these planes over with remote electronic control, and like an idiot, I kept arguing against it. Um, And she turns out, you know, from a lot of data that you know and I know and all that, this has been totally possible back at that time. And I just want to give her credit on the air that she saw this, you know, and I didn't. And uh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, dear. (laughs) Yes, well. Well, remember, she's in constant touch. She just left me another artifact in the infamous hall with the green carpet. And I'm trying to figure out what it means because she can only send things that have symbolic meaning. It's like they have to little have little, you know, bits of packet data, so it's all wrapped up in the thing. 
And she sent two items earlier in the week that uh, George and I talked about when they happened earlier in the week. This one is a real mystery, and I'm going to have to maybe sleep on it to figure out what she's trying to say. But the fact that something appeared and then you say that she was right without knowing that she'd even said that. And she was, you know, I, I, I can be very adamant when I think I'm right. So in this case, oh, I was... Oh, yes, I was... you are absolutely like a brick wall. <laughs> well, not that impermeable. That's, <laughs> so. that's kind of archaic. Maybe a, maybe a force level five force field or something. Anyway, um, so let's move to the Supreme Court yeah. and the Lawyers Committee because there's new news on that front. Yeah, and and uh, that's and then there are a few other of my items that will uh, trigger what I wanted to say also in my in my segment here. Okay, so just briefly on the Supreme Court, um, which is of course um, I, um, in your intro of myself, you had me as the co board director of the Lawyers Committee for Nine Eleven Inquiry. I'm actually the chairman of the board now. Oh, you're the sole. You're the queen of the walk. Okay. I am the matriarch. Yes. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer queen. <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer matriarch. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, the the lawyers committee. The, the big question is, uh, in this coming year, from the posi- from the point of view of of. Well, you need to tell what happened. Yeah, you... I will. I'm about to. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. The um, the big question um, from the point of view of the lawyers committee for 9/11 inquiry and the whole 9/11 truth movement which of course is still going worldwide, um, is what if anything is going to happen in terms of a breakthrough that we've been hoping for for over 21 years now. Um, so what, what the Lawyers Committee has done most recently is our biggest case, we have many legal irons in the fire with many different U.S. attorneys in New York, in D.C., in Congress, petitions to Congress, etc. But our first and major case, which has been going on since we filed it in April of 2018, is with the U.S. attorney for the second district, um, federal district court, which is in Manhattan, the jurisdiction of the World Trade Center attacks on 9-11. And what we've been trying to do is to simply get the U.S. attorney to present our petition and our evidentiary exhibits, which prove that World Trade Centers 1, 2, the two towers and 7, World Trade Center 7, were brought down by pre-placed explosives and incendiaries in controlled demolition. In the case of the World Trade Center Towers, explosive controlled demolitions. In the case of World Trade Center 7, classic gravity-driven straight down into its own footprint controlled demolition. And believe it or not, we got all the way to the, um, to the appeals court. And the appeals court says, I'm sorry, you don't have standing to even bring this case. You don't have standing even our plaintiffs who lost their loved ones in World Trade Center 1 on 9-11, even the first responders and their families who lost their loved ones uh, from cancer, lung cancers and such, working in the pit as first responders. You don't have standing. If 9-11 family members and survivors of victims do not have standing, who does? So we went to the Supreme Court. We went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court declined to hear our case in early December, I think it was December 5th, they declined to hear our case, which just bumped it back to the level of the appeals court. So as of now, 
that uh, ruling applies just to the courts in the Second Circuit, which of course includes Manhattan. So the Lawyers Committee, we are going back to the drawing board and we, uh, this coming Wednesday, we're holding our next board meeting of which I'm the chairman of the board. And we have before us about 10 options of what to do next as plan B. And um, I, I can't go into Which of course those. you can't tell us, yes. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't give you all the options, but I can tell you that we will be doing something and we're not going to give up. Um, and we are almost likely going to go to the most likely option that we will vote on, um, which hasn't happened yet, of course, is that um, in our original filing way back in April of 2018, one of one of the actions that we asked the, uh, the court to do was to have the judge himself order the U.S. attorney in the Second Circuit to present our petition and evidentiary exhibits to a sitting criminal grand jury, special criminal grand jury. And they, they never even addressed that. So we're going to go back and address that. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. So we're not going to give up. Um, and we're going to be um, having a number of uh, other uh, legal actions that we'll be able to announce probably uh, at a, the next time I'm on your show. So where is the 9-11 truth movement now? The other thing that people should know is that the alleged mastermind and his alleged co-conspirators, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, they're called the 9-11-5 defendants who have been in Guantanamo for years, I think since 20, uh, 2006. And um, they, they haven't even had their evidentiary hearings yet because their testimony was taken under massive um, torture in these CIA black sites, which has prevented the whole thing from going forward. So what the Biden administration is right now trying to do, it's fascinating. They're trying to get the attorneys for the 9-11-5. This would be the only court case directly related to 9-11 ever held, if it goes forward in the military tribunals in Guantanamo. The Biden administration is trying to get their attorneys to get the 9-11-5 to agree to plead guilty to doing the 9-11 attacks in exchange for not being executed. But of course, they want to be executed. They want to be martyred. So this is almost certainly not going to happen. And because we have overwhelming evidence, as Robin told you all those years ago, that the planes were taken over with hijacking the hijackers' tech, remote control technology, um, the, the alleged hijackers, if they were on the planes at all, did not do the deed. So at the well, post, one of the ways that we have a clue now is I actually have an inside engineer who gave me some technical background a couple, three years ago, which buttressed uh, Robin's argument. And that when you look at the video, the fact that they were so extraordinarily perfectly flown into the... It's really hard to hit a building with an airplane at that low level because they're very skittish. Airplanes of that caliber are... I mean, I actually... Uh, flew partly a 707 chasing an eclipse many years ago and I had the damnedest problem just keeping it level because it wanted to go up and down and I would overcorrect and you know so doing this manually 
uh, and of course they didn't have the expertise for autopilots, it always struck me as a, almost a miracle that they hit anything. And now, of course, uh, uh, your data and my engineer friend uh, kind of coincide. And again, Robin was right. Yeah, well, there are at least two um, pilots who flew for American Airlines, who flew the actual alleged Pentagon plane flight 77, who said no pilot could physically have done it in the pilot seat. Because because being so low in the ground effect and all that at, at the yeah, Pentagon. And the, and, the, and the alleged speed, according to the official story. It's just physically impossible. Hmm. Uh, and there were multiple pilots um, who flew American Airlines 757s, which is what Flight 77 was, right. um, who flown them in simulators, and they couldn't even do it in a simulator. Okay. Multiple times they couldn't do it in a simulator. So anyway, the bottom line is... The Biden administration is trying to get these guys to plead guilty to something they not only didn't do but couldn't have done. So, so is this I another level of the cover story, or are we just dealing with dumb prosecutors? Well, we're dealing with we're we're dealing with effectively the fear of the government of the success of what our 911 uh, truth uh. movement has been able to bring forward to but the they, public. But they don't have to be in on it. They can just be dumb, you know following orders who are you talking about the prosecutors well the the pros <laughs> the prosecutors are following the guidance of the justice department and the white right, house right right and and at what they, level at what level is it just blind guidance and at what level do they know see that's always okay. the question who knows what are you kidding we've sued we've sued in federal court <laughs> in manhattan <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't mean they believe you you know, it, no, it, 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 they believe it's our evidence is dispositive. It is absolute proof. That's the real reason they won't let us in the courthouse door yet. It's because we have the proof. Okay. We just well. everybody who has any question about that, including yourself, go to our website, which is the Lawyers Committee website, L as in Larry, C as in Charlie, 4, F-O-R, 911.org. That's LCFOR911.org. And right at the top in the horizontal menu across the top in the little gold type um, is uh, a pull-down menus where you will be able to see every single one of our filings, including our World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7 petition and evidentiary exhibits. See it for yourself. It's yeah, that, that link is, by the way, posted very prominently right next to your picture in your bio. Yeah. So just click on Barbara's yeah. bio, where it says Fast Links to Bios, right there yeah. at the top website, L, capital L, capital C, F-O-R, 4911.org. Right. So the bottom line in terms of the 9-11 truth movement is because the 9-11-5's attorneys, in my opinion, they know what we've done, they're never going to uh, agree to this um, this plea deal that the Biden administration, Justice Department, and the Guantanamo prosecutors are trying to get them to plead guilty. They're not going to plead guilty, in my opinion. So that's going nowhere, which makes our lawyers committee the only real game in town. Hmm. So that's that's number two. Um, so the next thing I wanted to mention, uh, just a comment about last night's program when, um, let's see, who was it? Um, we were talking about the, oh, yes, it was John uh, Jonathan Womack. Is Jonathan on tonight? Yeah, John's on. Oh, good. Well, maybe he's listening. So maybe he can comment on this. Um, I wanted to call in in the third hour, but I knew I'd be doing this tonight, and I was hoping he'd be on. So good that he is. Um, my number six item 
are 9-11 souls being reincarnated, it should have read, are 9-11 victims' souls being reincarnated Ah. as children. And these are some amazing stories that people really need to read. Um, Last night, Jonathan Womack was talking about a few of the of the guests were talking about their 9-11 experiences and Jonathan mentioned that he goes out of body um, at every one of the 9-11 uh, anniversary events at Ground Zero and um, I can't remember which year he said but it was recently that he went there and for the first time all of the souls of the deceased of the victims of the World Trade Center attacks and the planes there the two planes there um, were uh, were no longer uh, held to earth that they that they had gone on and that there was and that he said ground zero is now clear it's now spiritually clear and there was a sense of love and light when he went for the first time and I find it fascinating um, that the other side of that coin is some of these souls are apparently coming back these are very compelling reincarnation stories. The people should read. So that's my that's my number six. Wow, which ties in with last night's program. Well, when when John comes on, which be in the next hour, we'll we'll obviously incorporate this into the conversation. Yeah, Yeah. this is cool. Very um, cool. All right, couple of other things, and then I know we have about six and a half minutes to the top of the hour, so I can complete them. Um, The other two big things for this year, or three big things. Um, there's all there's obviously Ukraine now my number four I think it's really important for people to understand you just need to read this article um, but and some others but uh, Zelensky happens to be a Jewish person he happens to be a radical Zionist most people don't know that um, Israel just yesterday it's in or two days ago it's in yesterday's paper actually New York Times um, Israel has in today's news also online Israel has finally agreed uh, to uh, Macron the president of, of France went over and talked uh, Netanyahu into <clears throat> finally agreeing <coughs> to allow Israel to send military equipment to Ukraine and <clears throat> they've been holding back because do you, do you have water dear do you need to drink some water no no i'm okay now okay i'm okay um i would if i needed it um tell me if i sound like i need it <laughs> <laughs> you better know anyway. than i i never do this show without a nice big glass of ice water sitting here because you it strikes at the weirdest times like last night i could barely talk at one point so well, I noticed that, and then all of your power went out at the end, too. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I just took a swig of water out of my water bottle. So, so <clears throat> Zelensky said this amazing thing, Ukraine will become greater Israel. Well, I can't go into the details here, but people need to Google the link between what's called Khazaria and Ukraine. Because the Khazarian Jews... Uh, are, were the vast majority of the Jews in the Holocaust, but they're also, if I understand correctly, the majority of Jews in Israel today, Israeli citizens. And their homeland 
was in what is now Ukraine. So for Zelensky, Zelensky, who happens to be Jewish, to say Ukraine will become the greater Israel when we succeed against Russia, that's really critical. You need to look into that very ancient history. I think it goes back to like the 800s or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next thing I wanted to cover is what's happening, God help us, in in Washington, in the Congress. So I want to go to my item number 1A, and this is a very important uh, article. Uh, I think it's called Kevin McCarthy, a divided GOP, meaning the Republican Party, and the curse of January 6th. And when you uh, open that, you click on the article. I'm just going to read a little bit of the text. Yeah, there's actually a typo because the the title is is there twice. In case if you can yeah, fix that. Yeah, no, yeah, it's not not a big deal. It doesn't really need. But Kevin McCarthy, a divided GOP in the curse of January 6th from the Washington Post. There are 175. And by the way, if you if you click on that, um, on the. Uh, on the uh, photograph, and when it opens up, make it larger on your screen, and you will see that I've added blood on his hand, taking the oath. I see that, yes. I've added that. I had that done. And the reason is what's in the text. There are 175 House Republicans who, in one way or or another, have embraced Trump's claims that he won the 2020 election, which led, of course, uh, to the riots at the Capitol on January 6th and the death of now over five people um, and the uh, injury of over 150, I believe, and and the um, the arrests, uh, indictments of almost a thousand now. Some of the central players in the battle for the House Speaker were in the thick of the efforts to overturn the election which is a documented the final report of the January 6th Committee of Congress. Um, so uh, just read this and, and you will see that uh, the people who have taken over the House of Representatives are effectively the masterminds, along with Trump, behind January 6th. So, you know, we, we, have, we have, there's trouble in, there's big trouble in Potomac City, people. Hmm. There's big trouble in Potomac City. Um, number 1B in my items is Kevin McCarthy. This is a wonderful clip. Um, one of our 9-11 Truth people some years ago confronted a much younger Kevin McCarthy when he was you know, just a starting out representative um, and uh, confronted him, uh, 9-11 Truth activists confronted him. So people will find it interesting to see um, what he was told, and therefore what he knows. That's very interesting. Um, and then I guess, um, yeah, so I guess the last thing, unless you want to hold it for, you know, a serious part of the program, program when we talk about our fundraising campaign with the Alan Bean uh, painting print. Well, let me see what I'm looking at the arc of tonight, because remember, it's all about storytelling. I want to bring Marvin Jones on to talk about the one real serious crisis that uh, the weakest speaker in the history of the House, uh, McCarthy, might lead us into, which is default on the uh, debt limit. And he's got some crucial background. And then you guys can talk about that because he's got some additional perspectives. And I've done a little digging into the Constitution 
And what the Republicans are proposing is absolutely against the Constitution. In fact, I think the whole debt limit legislation, which vetoes the, uh, uh, you know, U.S. paying its debts, I think is frankly illegal and unconstitutional. And we'll get into all of that. My guest this morning to start off is Barbara Honiger. And we're bringing on our citizen historian, Marvin Jones, when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. Don't touch that dial. Things are going to get really interesting as we get into the wee hours of the morning with the backdrop of this very bizarre Chinese spy balloon. Come on. for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.